0: Lord God, we are grateful to be here before you. You have seen fit to bless us with the opportunity to come and worship you this day, Lord, and we pray that this service we partake in later this morning will be a beautiful offering to you, Lord, just a a beautiful sound to your ears, a sweet smell to your nostrils, Lord. We pray that you will allow us to worship rightly. As we prepare for worship, Lord, I pray that you help us to know our Bibles better, so that we might know you better and behave more like Christ, become more like Christ, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So uh, the only review we really have time for, I will throw out uh, uh, a couple couple of things here, or one in particular. So we're going to go back real retro for anyone who's here. One of these 12 books is the original sermon series that we had as a church. Does anyone remember what our, the very first ever church uh, sermon series was at this church? Mm, wow. (laughs) Jonah says, uh, Jonah. (laughs) Rob Roy says it sounds fishy to him. The answer is Jonah. So if anyone does not I I believe they're still on the website. If anyone hasn't heard them, our brother Nick preached through the book of Jonah um, to start off at our church. Uh, My dad, right after, I think the Sunday after, started in Mark. Um, But... uh, we ended up going through the Book of Jonah, but the rest of this stuff is stuff that i 'm guessing maybe haven 't been preached out of a whole lot, and um, in general might be something that it 's more so, especially you have books like obadiah that 's one chapter, um, which so for whoever gets Obadiah, the reason you don 't see a number, uh, you just see two, two numbers there is because it 's the verses there 's no chapter. Um, but a lot of these books might be a little bit new to us or something we've zoomed through because they're, they're brief in our way of reading through the Bible in a year or any other study you've done. But um, in true fashion, uh, I would expect nothing less from my dad. He gets called out from a fire and tells me, I need to, uh, I'm going to be teaching Sunday school. I said, no problem. And he goes, okay, here's 12 books. Good luck Um, so we have a lot of ground to work our way through i'm going to set up the stage uh, with this exodus with our exodus passage here and then you're we're going to see some imagery throughout but we're going to try to high level hit all these books and see how they fit together so uh, what we're going to start off with in just a moment is exodus 20 1 through 7 should sound familiar we're getting into the ten commandments And the reason for that is the imagery I want to put in your mind, and I believe God is putting in ours, is marriage. Marriage. We're going to be looking at these 12 and how they are assembled together in the Tanakh, in the original Hebrew Bible, as one book. These 12 are together because they're considered one book. And the overarching symbol is marriage. And within that marriage, we have the marriage itself, which is going to be the Exodus portion. You have, here are the rules to be married. And then we're going to look into how does Israel, his bride, act, what are the consequences of marriage, of the infidelity within marriage, judgment, eventually the call to reconcile, and the reconciliation. And what's interesting is we will see this pattern almost like a mosaic, where if you read any one of these books, you would see that pattern, and then you zoom out, and the collective of all these mosaic tiles is an even bigger picture, which is... God's love for his bride and going through this cycle. So you'll see how we we start with supreme infidelity, we're gonna end with some hope, right? And each book has some hope in there, but we're gonna see a a, a progression here. So we'll see it as we go, and I think think what's uh, beautiful about this is that even though all these books are written in different years, different audiences, different parts of Israel or Judah, yet together they make complete sense. In the context of each other, so let's start off by looking at um, Israel, who has been taken out of Egypt. They've been chosen to be Yahweh's bride. Let's take a look at um, uh, about at this marriage. So, whoever has the mic, uh, let's start off with the first two verses of Exodus 20.
1: And God spoke all these words, saying, "I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of
0: Egypt, out of the house of slavery." All right. So God chose us off the streets. Sees us, we're not a great beauty to behold, took us out of the streets, took us um, out of slavery, uh, chooses us to be a bride. Okay, great. Here are the rules for marriage. So let's hear those for verses 3 through 6.
1: You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and
0: keep my commandments. All right. Pretty straightforward request of a marriage. It is the model that we build off of. First expectation is that you are faithful. Love me and only me. I am a jealous God. As a husband would be a jealous husband, his wife should love him and only him. So uh, God lays this out. Well, in verse 7, we see uh, beyond just the faithfulness, there is then almost this, um, here is how you are to behave within the fidelity. So let's look at verse 7.
1: You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain.
0: So many of us maybe grew up hearing this verse told to us to say, don't say bad words. Don't say OMG and things like that. But think of it this way. When you get married, you bride, if you're taking on my last name, you are not to do it in vain. You will not become Mrs. Smith and then go act like this and soil and solely my name. You are taking my name. You are saying you are a part of this marriage. To be a part of this marriage is to behave as the marriage as God expects and uphold that marriage. And so God says, all right, be faithful. Here's how you are to act. And we have the rest of the Ten Commandments lining out how we are to behave and, and what is expected of us. So, within all of this, let's look at Hosea and let's let's see what Hosea has to say about how it how it's going. So, whoever has the mic, uh, please read the first uh, or uh, verse two of Hosea one.
2: When Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, "Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking Yahweh."
0: Okay, so we're seeing this marriage imagery really laid out. It's laid out the heaviest, I'd say, in Hosea. And we see it laid out. He's, God is calling Israel a whore. You are. It is a nation of whoredom. And he has, as a symbol, he has Hosea marry a woman who will be unfaithful. Um, after that, um, uh, After that, he ends up having three kids. And God has him name those three kids based on... Israel's faithfulness to Yahweh and Yahweh's ultimate um, approach to Israel for their unfaithfulness. So uh, Hosea has a child named Jezreel, and let's read what that means in verses 3 through 5.
2: And so, and, and so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dible, and she conceived and bore him a son. And Yahweh said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Five. And on that day, I will break the bow, the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel.
0: Great. So Hosea is naming his son. Um, there's going to be punishment. Well, then uh, he ends up having a daughter whose name in, actually, we don't get the Hebrew name uh, transliterated. Instead, we get the translation for the name for his daughter. But his daughter is Loruchami, or Loruchama, which, uh, which uh, we will read what that means. Um, it is not a name I think anyone is continuing to adopt for their children's today. So let's look at Hosea's daughter in Hosea 1, 6 through 7.
2: She conceived again and bore a daughter, and Yahweh said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all.
0: And then verse 7.
2: But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by, uh, by Yahweh their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen.
0: So uh, here we have no mercy, but then we have verse 7 saying, but I will save Judah. Verse 7 sounds like the, like, right after you need to repent, but here's the mercy. But I would say verse 7 is really biting. Why is verse 7 biting there, saying you will save Judah? Who's his audience? Who's Hosea's audience in this? It's Israel. It's Israel. So Hosea is saying, hey, Israel, Hosea's our only northern israel both born and prophet in in the writing prophet days to israel and he's telling israel this is the judgment and god's going to save those people over there right so it's extra condemnation for no mercy uh and then we have uh the third child uh here who um uh who we see in hosea 1 8 through 9 whose name is lo ami um and let's uh read verses 8 and 9
2: When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God.
0: Yeah, so we see the marriage is kicked off. Infidelity, God is saying, I'm going to put you out. You are not mine. I will not uh, adopt you, or I will not keep you under the blessing of our household. And I'm going to read for us um, a couple larger portions of Hosea to to give you a sense of some of the poetry and imagery that's being used for the consequences of this. And what I would say is, see if some of this language feels familiar, um, and I'll kind of circle back on that. In um, Hosea 2... It says, "Plead for your mother, plead for, she is not my wife. I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her in the days she was born, and make her like a wilderness, make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also, I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She is, "She who has conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up my way, uh, her way with thorns, and I will build up a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but, not sh- but shall not find them. Then they shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it is better for me then than now. And she did not know that I, it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So I'll stop there. So it goes, it continues on, and then in verses 14 through the end of chapter 2, we hear, despite all this unfaithfulness, we hear of Yahweh's faithfulness. He upholding the covenant he made, the marriage covenant that he made um, and in being, being faithful. But at the end there of verse um, verse 8, it says they use for Baal. So what's going on here is we start seeing, uh, or we see in Hosea, there was major syncretism. So kind of like, I'm going to collect them all, the gods, let's add them to Yahweh, and I will get the benefits of all of these, right? Like they're all little aftermarket upgrades on the god I worship, which is against the original marriage covenant we, we read. And we're going to continue to see this theme through the rest of these, where the infidelity is with a nation or you'll hear it referenced with a people or with a king or with another god like Baal or another, a false god like Baal. And what I would say is all of them are the same. This is if you are, a, are joining with a nation or whoring with another nation, you are adopting their gods with them. So all of these, we're going to see this theme over and over. Um, We'll see, uh, we see the judgment. So again, we're going through the cycle. We see the judgment declared in Hosea thirteen four through 8, for whoever has the mic there.
2: But I am Yahweh, your God. From the land of Egypt, you know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their hearts were, was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast should rip them open.
0: So... Judgment, yeah. These none of these books. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the language here is, v- is very biting. It's very clear, and yet God is clearly using some poetic imagery through a lot of these books to grab our attention, and even through the the symbolism of marriage. Um, it Hosea, though, like all of these books, are not of judgment only. There is a call for repentance, and there is a a uh, reward for repentance, called out. At the end of Hosea 14, um, it, the whole chapter 14, the way Hosea ends, it is Yahweh pleading to Israel, return. Please return. And he says, I will bring you back. I will do this. Leave Assyria. So Assyria and their gods, return to me. Um, so we see God calling back his bride to reconcile, to repent and reconcile and receive the blessing again. And what's wonderful is it's not just a call saying, please. He then says, they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall uh, blossom like the vine. Their their fame shall be like wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? Is it I who answer and look after you? I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. So Yahweh ends this by saying, I will bring back those who perceive, who perceive correctly, those who God calls, and walk rightly. So there is still hope, despite what is many, many chapters of um, coming destruction for the infidelity. So then we get into our second book, Joel. Um, so Hosea has really set the stage for the 12. But we get into uh, Joel, and we get, start to get the consequences of the divorce that we've been told of. We're, we're going to hear a lot of judgment language. Um, but we get uh, to hear of the consequences of losing the blessing. Let's do this. Um, let's see, Joel 1 through 12. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Help me out. Sorry, <laughs> it's a lot.
3: The word of Yahweh that came to Joel the son of Pethuel: Hear this, you elders; give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days, or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. What the cutting locusts have left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locust has left, what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come upon, come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my, fi- my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord, uh, sorry, the ministers of Yahweh. The fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vinedressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man.
0: So um, you'll you'll hear in all of this language, we're hearing things like vines drying up, pomegranates earlier, it's fields, uh, swarming locusts. And he says, Awake, you drunkards. So the people who are supposed to care for the land have been called out. And there's this destruction of essentially like the household goods, which is wine and these fields. And I think this is particularly beautiful when you consider Proverbs 31, which describes what the bride is to look like, the perfect bride. And it's someone who takes care of the household, who addresses the fields, who sells the wine for a little profit and brings it back. They manage the household. Instead, we're seeing all of this similar language to these fields and things lined out being destroyed. And ultimately, uh, God tells them, you need, to, you need to mourn. Go and mourn for the loss of this divorce." So uh, verses 13, and go ahead and read um, Joel 13 or 2, 12 uh, excuse me where are we at? Uh, 1, 13, and go ahead all the way through 20, if you wouldn't mind, Nick.
4: Joel 1, 13 to 15, all the way to 20. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land to the house of Yahweh your God and cry out to Yahweh, Alas, for the day, For the day of Yahweh is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of God? To see shrivel, excuse me, the she shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Yahweh, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the
0: wilderness. So the Lord's judgment. The putting out of the household, so you have forsaken the household marriage, he puts them out, and the consequence is essentially death and destruction for being outside of the marriage. You no longer have the marriage blessing of God He puts, he puts them out, and yet God is God still, despite all of this, all this judgment, what he 's done, the failure of his bride, he in Joel two we see again, he calls his, for his unfaithful bride. Return become faithful look at Joel 2 12 through 13 Yet even now declares Yahweh return to me with all your heart
4: with fasting With weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments Return to Yahweh your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love,
0: and he relents over disaster." Thank you. Keep holding the mic. Look down at verse 32. We see after him calling to return. We see again in the similar model to Hosea, we see this. um, We see him not only call for them, but says it will happen for the faithful. Uh, So look at verse 32 of Joel 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be
4: those who escape, as Yahweh has said. And among the survivors
0: shall be those whom Yahweh calls. So um, we, we get promise a promise that it will happen. And again, we've seen this cycle go through. Now in Amos, as we transition to Amos, what we see is a little bit different. This is now God saying, okay, Israel, you have been unfaithful. Amos starts off with, I am going to now judge all those with whom Israel has been unfaithful with. Those with whom um, the adultery has been committed with. Um, So, what I will do is actually, instead of whoever has the mic, you will not be reading um, Amos, these verses in Amos. I would encourage all of us, if you have your Bible open to Amos, just look at the names of all the cities in each of these verses that God calls out. So, um, in verse 3 we have Damat for these three transgressions of Damascus. And then in verse 6, it says, for the transgressions, three transgressions of Gaza. Then we have, in verse 9, we have Tyre. Three transgressions of Tyre. And in 11, we have Edom. And then in 13, we have Ammon. Uh, and then in chapter 2, verse 1, we have Moab. And then, after listing all of these, what you might recall or think what happens later is we, we are taught by Jesus that there will be a day where where those will call out for the Lord, but they say, hey, I know God, but God does not know them. He says, depart, for I never knew you. So after calling out all these people with whom they have been adulterous with or unfaithful and their gods, he now turns his focus on the adulterer himself. And for in, um, Amos, he then turns to, uh, in chapter 2, you see he talks about Judah. And then in verse 6, he talks about Israel. So after talking about all of these other gods pronouncing judgment for their three transgressions, he calls out Israel and Judah along with them. But through all of this, you then continue to read about the judgment and various aspects that, like we're zooming through 12 books of the Bible, so there's a lot going on here that we're not hitting, things that do relate to end times or um, to the coming of Jesus. Um, uh, Some amazing sermons to be had out of this, but... In um, Amos, uh, let's see, I do not have it up there. Um, Whoever has the mic, if you could turn to Amos chapter 9 and read verses 14 and 15, we again see the same model, which is we're seeing a progression, right? Hosea started off with decrying unfaithfulness and saying there's a, a need for divorce. Joel starts talking about, well, here's the process of the divorce and what's happening to the land. Amos starts talking about, here's all the people you've been unfaithful with in the judgment, and then the effects of Ju- Judah and Israel. But within all of that, we still see a call for repentance and a promise of reconciliation that is permanent. So let's look in this case at the permanency of the reconciliation in Amos nine fourteen and 15.
4: I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God.
0: Hallelujah. Never again will they be uprooted, which, for the short-term perspective nations, wait a minute, will never be again uprooted, but we who have the blessing of all of Scripture— no, this uh, promised land that we will inherit from which we could never be uprooted um, is to be heaven. It is the new heavens and the new earth and reconciliation with God. So we hear of this promise of a reconciliation, despite, like, it all starts with all you nations, here's what you've done. Um, God, is, God is so merciful through all of this. Then, in, uh, we, have, then we have Obadiah, again, a one-chapter book. Um, and um, in this, he's specifically declaring punishment on Edom. The Edomites, uh, if you remember, they are the descendants of Esau. Um, and Edom, in this case, has done violence. Uh, not, so has done violence against Israel, God's bride. And God declares judgment on Edom in this book and says he will reconcile his bride to Yahweh, so Israel back to Yahweh. Um, and, but then he will turn over Edom To the bride, so they will get divine retribution and authority, and will um, punishment over Edom. Uh, Please read verses 15 through 18.
2: For the day of Yahweh is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. And they shall burn, and then they shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken.
0: Amen. So um, we see this this imagery of of having the rule the bride will have the rule over his uh her abuser um although it is an abuse that is a consequence of the infidelity of of the nation of of israel of god's bride um so after obadiah we get into jonah um jonah highlights, very familiar, we're familiar with the story, but it overall highlights God's rightful authority to judge. And I almost feel like this is an intermission in the 12, in this progression of this divorce proceedings, to where um, Jonah says, okay, I'm going to go, I'll talk to him about judgment. He finally goes through the whole whale thing. He says, Nineveh, repent! Like I know you're not, because none of the other people who heard the prophets repented. You need to repent, uh, otherwise you'll be destroyed. Okay, he does what he does, checks the box almost. He walks away, and then we hear him uh, what he has to say when Nineveh actually responds to the admonition of the Lord in uh, Jonah. Um, I have it up here, not on my notes. Uh, Jonah three t- uh, ten, the last verse of chapter three, and the first verse of chapter four.
3: When God
2: saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it.
0: And then the first verse of chapter 4.
2: But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry.
0: Wait a minute. They obeyed God. They reconciled, and it made Jonah angry. And this is almost like uh, the way I think of this is, this is almost saying, wait, God, you... On, in the context of all of this, God, we have been unfaithful, or the, your bride has been unfaithful. You have proclaimed judgment. What do you mean you're giving him a chance to repent and come back? Like, she's no good. Don't take her. She's dirty. Like, you don't want that. She's no good. Don't take her back. And yet, God goes, on to, goes through and teaches Jonah how he's teaching Jonah a lesson about how little he values the people that God is calling, uh, he valued this plant that God had sprung up for him more than the people. Um, and ultimately we will see later, um, I believe in Nahum where we see the judgment of Nineveh, but, um, we see this imagery of re- again, reconciliation that follows from repentance, peace that follows from repentance, uh, in Micah. Uh, so we're almost halfway through the books here in Micah. We have a, the judgment of Samaria, um, which again is a nation with which Israel has broken her marriage covenant. Um, so let's read, uh, or excuse me, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read the first nine verses, the first seven verses of, of chapter one of Micah. Uh, is going to be judgment against um, Samaria, and then in verse eight and nine, you will hear. The effects of the sin is that it's even spread all the way. The infidelity has affected even Judah. It's spread to Judah. So um, here, uh, chapter 1. The word of Yahweh came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. Let, Yahweh your, uh, let the Lord your God be a witness against you. The Lord from the holy temple, for behold, Yahweh is coming out of his place, and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and will... Uh, and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches for her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. So we see this this infidelity. It is Israel's infidelity, but who's their infidelity with? It's Samaria. So again, we're seeing this um, this judgment in Micah and the spread of defilement. He goes on specifically in Micah to denounce oppression and oppressors, those who oppress. Um, he talks about a lot about rulers, about um, the authorities, the nations who are then abusing their power and are not um, following God rightly. In uh, but then we have a promise at the end. Again, we see this model where God leaves us with a promise from a small, insignificant city. Uh, whoever has the mic, please read. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, just through the first uh, sentence of chapter of uh, verse 5. So Micah one, 5, one through 5a.
4: Now muster your troops, daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel
0: So there's a promise of a little of one to come from Bethlehem, a town so small it shouldn't can't really even belong to the tribe, won't be a part of the tribe. It says, Um, but the one who comes will be their peace. So we are given a promise and a hope for the one who comes from Bethlehem. So we continue to see judgment consequences of the divorce, and we're seeing now um, the promise of the reconciliation or the one from whom we. Uh, by whom the reconciliation will come. Uh, then we're in Nahum, uh, and um, in the book of Nahum, uh, his, he's, God is relenting on his unfaithful bride, um, and in his uh, relenting, he brings his wrath against Nineveh for their sin, and there is the destruction of, um, of uh, Nineveh, but he commands his bride to return, to fulfill her vows, we well, hear this word vows used again. We're getting this. Um, I'm I'm really trying to hit home on the the marriage imagery because if you can remember all of this together in the context of marriage and the progression and the need for reconciliation within the marriage, I believe it also starts to pull you in into the other books that we get things like Proverbs and Song of Solomon and these other passages where we continue to see these this bride imagery. But um, listen to uh, Nahum 1, 12 through 13 in the call for his bride to return.
4: Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have
0: afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off your yoke, his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. So God is relenting. He is breaking. Um, he is breaking their bonds. Um, they, um, uh, they. He will cut down those who are afflicting afflicting them. And then in um, Nahum three five through seven, yet again, a nation, Nineveh, who has engaged Israel in their infidelity. God is uh, really explicit here in that He will reveal their shame. He will not just punish them. He will make their iniquity public, and their in um, their sin uh, revealed in Nahum three five through seven. Behold, I am against you,
4: says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations, nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you,
0: make you vile, make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all will look upon you, will flee from you, and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Who will, where I see, where shall I seek comforters for you? So we, we see, I will lift your skirt up over your face. I will reveal your nakedness. This imagery of, like, I will make your shame public. I will, I will shame you publicly for the sin you have committed. I will make your guilt known um, to the world for their sin. Um, and so uh, that judgment is brought against Nineveh. We then get into Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk. Um, in um, uh, uh, Habakkuk, we have Habakkuk bringing up a compl- two complaints against God. We have a complaint, a response, a complaint, and a response. And um, basically, uh, Habakkuk is saying, "Like, why are you letting bad things happen?" to good people? Why are you letting bad things happen? And we see uh, here in Habakkuk one twelve through 13, um, this complaint.
4: Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong? Why do you idly look at traitors and and remain silent when the wicked
0: shallows up the man more righteous than he? So what we have Habakkuk here making the complaint, I feel like, is the most common American approach, which is, well, at least I'm not Hitler. At least I'm not Hitler. I'm, I'm not that bad. Why, why are these terrible things happening to us? We're not as bad as these other nations. Why are you letting this happen? And we hear God's response to Habakkuk in this in chapter 2 and then verses 2 through 4 um, to their argument of, well, yeah, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as I could be or these other people.
2: And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will surely come it will not delay behold his soul is puffed up it is not right within him but the righteous shall live by his faith
0: so he's again calling well it is not the standard is not these nations who are terrorizing you it is the faith Faithfulness by which I expect you to live, um, and so in Habakkuk we have God declaring judgment by bringing in the Chaldeans. If you remember, this is we're getting ready to go into exile. The Chaldeans come in, um, and they, the Chaldeans come in. But then the rest of Habakkuk, after um, after having judgment being brought in by the Chaldeans, them being used as a tool, God then turns around in Habakkuk and pronounces judgment on the Chaldeans. Who brought the judgment of God and, we're, and we see we 're seeing this a lot in daniel We've we 've heard it in Daniel so far that daniel is or Nebuchadnezzar is you being used as a tool, and yet God will bring judgment on Nebuchadnezzar for what he has done and um, I just want to make sure to call out here essentially what what i wouldn 't want someone to take away is well God made the Chaldeans to come do these ter- these terrible things to Israel. what happened is Israel played the whore, and God turned them over into their sin, gave them what they asked for, the other surrounding nations, and yet what, even though they have been used as a tool, what they do and how they have conducted themselves is need of judgment. And so in Habakkuk, it ends with the judgment of the Chaldeans. So there is, again, um, a judgment, and there is going to be reconciliation. We get into Zephaniah. All right, we've got to get flying. I have one minute, and we have three books here. Um, We get into Zephaniah. Um, We we will probably need to end on the scripture, unfortunately, but I will give us the overview of the 12 so we can get the whole reconciliation picture. But um, uh, Zephaniah starts off in a way that is um, describing decreation. It is a destruction of of creation. And then he talks uh, about—God talks about the destruction of the nations, wicked nations— And then almost in a reversal of the Tower of Babel, uh, an imagery that seems like it talks about the unification and the pure words that will be made, pure speech. And that God will um, remove her shame, remove his bride's shame, despite her infidelity um, here in uh, verses 9 through 11 of Zephaniah 3. After removing her shame, so now we're getting into Haggai, we're getting towards the end of this imagery. God has brought back his bride from exile. There's a command to rebuild, rebuild the temple. And after, as Haggai tells the nation to rebuild the temple, God then encourages them and says, now that you have laid the foundation, continue to build, persevere, I will bless you. And Haggai 2.9, I will read that quickly. Haggai 2.9 says... Uh, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. So after the foundation is built, which I would argue is in, um, it is alluding to, it is connecting to Jesus laying, being our sure foundation, he's commanding his people, his bride, be faithful, build up the stones, and this will be a greater temple than the one before. Um, Uh, Again, I believe alluding to the ultimate temple and our reunification with God in heaven. We get into Zechariah where we have, again, reconciliation. The beginning of Zechariah is a call to return. Please return. And then after giving um, visions, he he proclaims the coming of the one who redeems his bride in Zechariah 9 and zoom over the Jesus here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Right, uh, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be broken off, uh, cut off and he shall seek peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow, I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. The one who rides a donkey will redeem his people. And then um, in Malachi, we have... Um, again, um, a, the ultimate reconciliation, we start off with the love of his bride. So this is, if we're thinking about the 12, the bookends of all of this, we've progressed through this marriage cycle of infidelity. It is the exact opposite of the way Hosea starts, which Hosea starts with, how little you love me, your God. Instead, we have now Malachi starting off with Yahweh's love for Israel. But then Yahweh calls out the priests who are being unfaithful, in their approach and the way in which they are being um, unfaithful. There is, again, marriage imagery throughout. And then the book of Malachi um, uh, in chapter 3 has a call of the book of remembrance, saying that um, those who fear Yahweh, Yahweh will remember, um, which is important because it then ends in uh, chapter 4 with the great day of the Lord. Talking about the destruction. So it is good to be remembered. Okay. So we covered a lot there. I moved at an incredible pace um, and I'm speaking too quickly. But the idea here is that you can see the continuity of the 12. There is this progression overall, and yet within each one, they have their own cycles within this. We kind of talk about this a lot when we talk about especially um, Hebrew writing. Um, And these are to different audiences over different times. But if you were to think about all of this as a progression, the next time you read through your Bible or go through these portions, relate and think, wait a minute, Christ calls us the church his bride. How much does this apply to me today? And we know the answer to that. We know the answer that all of this still applies in that we as his bride need to be faithful. Every time we are unfaithful, we need to return. And so um, I'm hoping that this imagery sticks with you and that some of these little um, smaller books or books that maybe have poem after poem of how God will destroy or shame the nations um, could be seen how it fits into God's eternal plan of using his son, his redeemer, to reconcile his bride back to him as it ought, but in a better setup, in a better temple, better house than the original house that was married into. All right. We've gone way over. I'm amazed children aren't storming out. We may have said the word whoredom too many times for the Sunday school teachers to let them out. Um, But I will end us in prayer and we can prepare for our worship of God. God, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you for the preservation of your holy scriptures, Lord. These are not archaic um, texts that applied to a people a long time ago and are interesting and interesting alone, Lord. But no, we are you have made us your bride as your church lord we pray that you help us to remain faithful we know fidelity only comes from you and lord when we instead of walking in christ walk in our flesh when we do that lord please bring us back chastise us and bring us back on the path so that we might be reconciled and faithful to you lord lord we pray for the service with which we are about to participate may our focus be on you O God, the giver of his bride, the protector and lover of his bride, please let us be presented to you this day as your bride, beautiful singing your glory and honor. In your son's name we pray, amen.